Welcome to the podcast of Rogue Valley Christian Church. We hope to be a place that connects you to Jesus, encourages you to grow in your faith, and challenges you to serve the world. Friday. Yes, Friday. I had a four-year-old little boy. His name is Ezekiel. He's also known as my son. He asked me if I would take him to the pump track. We don't actually have a pump track in Medford, but we do have a BMX track, and he thinks it's a pump track. If you're not sure what a pump track is, it's a little concrete, rideable, little obstacle course that kids can go around, skateboard, so on and so forth. He's been to a pump track down in the Palm Springs area. So Friday, he says to me, Daddy, you guys have four-year-olds? You know what happens when they say, Daddy, right? You take me to the pump. Did somebody say not anymore? <laughs> Can you take me to the pump track? I said, yeah, I'll take you to the BMX track. So we had to bribe him a little bit because he was misbehaving because he needed food. That's our life. And we took him down to the BMX track. Now, if you know me, I don't know anything about BMX. I can barely ride a bike, right? But we go there, and I'm a little intimidated because we pull up, and there's cars there. I didn't realize that most of those cars were parked because they were going to the dog park. But I was thinking, okay, we're going to go to this BMX place, and... I mean, I've seen movies like Thrasher and the uh, movies from the 80s, BMXing, and I thought, listen, I'm going to go here, and I'm going to get beat up by some neon-colored wearing punk. But we go there, and there's nobody there except for one other person. I'm like, okay, we're safe. So Ezekiel, he's four. Did I mention he's four? We get out his bike, and when I say we, it was me. He can't lift it. So I pull his bike out of the trunk. We brought two bikes, but I only let him use one. See, he has a Strider bike that's kind of like a security blanket, but I didn't allow that. You don't go to a BMX track and ride a Strider bike. I'm not setting him up to be mocked for the rest of his life. So we pull out his little, his little, his little pedal bike. We call it his speedy bike because the first time he got on it, it was much faster than the other bike that we thought about, right? So we pull out his speedy bike, and he gets out, and he starts going into the track. We don't know where it starts, but as he's going, you know, the track, the BMX track, it's got jumps, it's got doubles, it's got whatever, whoopty, whatever things you call it. I don't do, it's got those things, right? And we go, and there's this one, like, it's a tabletop. Is that what they call it? It's a tabletop jump, and he goes, and he starts riding kind of tentatively. Did I mention he's four and doesn't need training wheels? Yeah, he's an overachiever. So, he starts riding up this little tabletop, and he gets halfway up, realizes he's not going fast enough, and starts moving backwards only to wreck and wipe out, falling down onto the ground. Now, as a dad, you're just like, okay, we got to make a decision here. How are we going to handle this? Are we going to go over and pet him on the head and go, oh, my gosh, are you okay? Or are we going to look at him and go, hey, let's go. You got to get faster. That's what I decided to go with, right? Because the day was about him becoming brave, not about me coddling him. It wasn't about me making him comfortable. It was actually a day where I realized once we see the tabletop jumps and we see the big starting area, oh, he's going to have to be brave because this is bigger than what he can handle. So I thought. I'll show you videos after service. So then we decide, okay, well now we got this thing. Here's what you got to do. And so we started pushing him and making him. And I was like, you got to pedal really fast, just like that. And he starts pedaling. I don't know if he pedaled really fast because he knew he had to pedal really fast or he was afraid of me saying, you got to pedal really fast. 
And so he starts pedaling really fast, and he starts making his way first halfway around the track. Then we said, okay, let's go for it. If you pedal really fast, I think you can make it all the way across the track. You can make it from the starting area all the way to the finish. He goes, okay, Dad, let's do it. So we push him, and he does it a couple of times. Then I realized, well, wait a minute. This is just the starting area. It's not the starting line. How many of you know at a BMX track, the starting line is elevated? And it's a drop down into the track. And if you are me, it's pretty big because I'm not very tall. If you're four, it's gigantic. And I was like, well, hey, why don't we go up to the top? And he's like, no, 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 this is good. Just hold me right here. Hold. We're halfway at this point. He goes, just hold me right here. I'm holding him so he doesn't take off, right? And I'm holding him. He goes, just hold me right here. And I go, no, buddy, we can make it to the top. I'll tell you what. You do this two more times, and we're going to the top. And he goes, okay, I'll try it. So he goes two more times. We get him to the top, and he's terrified. He's looking over the edge on his little Haro bike. It's a nice little bike, although we've discovered when we bought it, he likes a little bell because who doesn't like a bell on your bike? Bring, bring. I discovered those don't go in a BMX track very well. <laughs> I'm super proud of my boy riding around the track, going over the whoop-de-woos and like representing, you know what I mean? He's like this legit little BMX dude. And there's some people who came and they're standing on the gate watching this little tiny kid ride around these things. And he rides by him and he goes, bring, bring. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Right? Just remind me, B, the bell's coming off. <laughs> so we get him to the top, and he's got his little bell, and he's on his bike there, and this is the moment, right? In my moment, this isn't about making him comfortable. This is about making him brave. You got to go for it. He wouldn't have gone there on his own. It was too overwhelming. It was too high. It's too much. But I was there with him, and I'm like, okay, we can do this, and I slowly backed him all the way up. Two times here, two times here. Now we're at the top, and it's time to go. I go, you got this. And he goes, I think so, Dad. I'm like, don't ring the bell. <laughs> you got it. And he goes, yeah, I think so. And I go, okay, ready? And he goes, I want you to count. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, one, two. Uh, no, I want you to say, ready, set, go. And I'm like, also not a BMX track thing. <laughs> but Okay. So we're up at the top, and we're ready, and I'm holding on to the back of his seat, right? And he is like, I'm telling you, he's going straight down. It really wasn't. If you go see the track, it's not that bad. But when you're four, it's terrifying. So I'm holding him, and I'm like, okay, one, two, and he, no, ready? And okay, ready, steady, go. And I shove him as hard as I could, like as hard. I didn't take any steps because I'm old, and I didn't want to fall. But I just shoved him as hard as I could. And in mid-shove, I'm thinking, this might be too hard. <laughs> he could crash. But he's a little four-year-old overachiever, and there's no way he's crashing. Why? Because he was a charger. And he's, I, I couldn't see his face, but if I could, it was like this. <laughs> and he flies down the start, and he hits that first tabletop, and I wish I could say he caught air and flew over a double. He didn't. He just went whoop, 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 whoop. And all the way around, and he had the biggest smile on his face when it was all said and done we got in the car to go home and he looked at me and he says daddy I love you <laughs> church is over you can go home <laughs> right he said daddy I love you and I said that was fun huh and he goes yeah and I go buddy I'm so proud of you because you're so 
brave. You're so brave. Doug read to us an account of the ascension. I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. We're going to jump over and see more details out of the book of Acts. I don't know about you, but sometimes when we get done celebrating the resurrection, there's kind of this letdown, there's kind of a come down, right? All year long points to two holidays, holidays within Christianity. It points to Christmas where we celebrate the incarnation, and then it points to Easter where we celebrate the resurrection. These are our two big days. Some people say they're like the Super Bowl. I don't think they are. Jesus is more important than a silly football game. But we focus, we put a lot of effort into the resurrection, and sometimes after the resurrection, there's a bit of a letdown because we just kind of move on. In fact, a lot of times we don't even look at the ascension because we're like, oh, yeah, he died, he rose again, and he sitted, at, sitted, sitted, also known as seating, sitting. He's, you're in the front row. You can't, I need you not to laugh so hard. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying for you and I, right? That's the reality of the ascension, by the way. Don't you know, is the end of it. He's at the right hand of the Son. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for his people. Might I add, I suggest to you, and we'll get there in a minute, but I suggest to you, he's probably interceding that those of us who are afraid, overwhelmed, can't even imagine doing certain things, he's probably praying that we might be a little more brave. He's probably praying about those processes where he's going to take us to the top of, top of BMX ramps that we wouldn't go down on our own. And he's going to take us up there and he's going to say, he's going to shove us as hard as he can and say, you got this. Do you see what I mean? But a lot of times we don't even consider the ascension because we just kind of move on from Easter. In fact, we're going to study the book of Acts here in a couple of weeks. We just kind of move on. But the ascension is important. Why? Because the, the ascension and looking at it, that moment where Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus who had come back from the dead, that moment where right in front of his disciples, he ascended back to heaven. He went back up to the Father. Part of the reason we don't talk about it is because we don't know how it worked. <laughs> how does that work? I don't know. I'm going to let you know. Still don't know. <laughs> Studied it all week. Did a service, still have no idea, but it happened. But we have to understand that the ascension is important for us to take a look at it because through the ascension, we're reminded that God wants to make those who are overwhelmed and afraid, he wants to make us brave again. He wants to affect those of us who are facing things that are overwhelming, terrifying, frightening, who are facing things that seem impossible physically, emotionally, relationally, mentally, spiritually. He wants to make us brave again. He wants to, if you're following along, turn us back into those little four-year-olds who just trust their father to shove them down a ramp and then scream and yell and hoot and holler as we make our way about around the track, ringing our bell the whole way. 
Yeah, you may have thought that the courage that Ezekiel showed was riding the track. No, it was ringing that stupid little bell in front of people. <laughs> that takes courage. Acts chapter 1. We have to remember as we come across Acts chapter 1 that the disciples who had been following Jesus, who had met him on the mountain in Galilee after the resurrection, remember he told the women, he told the Marys, you go tell my disciples that I want to meet with them and I want to see them in Galilee at this mountain. They had met with him there. So some 40 days later, the disciples are back with Jesus at the Mount of Olives. They're, they're, they're with Jesus. And sometimes we just cut to the, like the end of the story because we know the end of the story and we think, oh yeah, they're with Jesus ready to go change the world. No, they're with Jesus in this moment between the resurrection and the ascension and their great commission. They're in this moment absolutely overwhelmed, terrified, worried, and confused. Can you imagine the flood of information that is flying through their brains as Israelites who knew the scriptures as God's people who understood the promises, as those witnesses who had watched Jesus walk through the world for some three years, absolutely terrified as they watched the one that they had put all of their hopes in, tortured, killed, murdered, die before their eyes, buried, and then miraculously rises again on the third day. Can you imagine how overwhelming their thoughts and their emotions would have been in this moment? See, it's important for us to embrace and engage the story as it's written. And remember, the disciples are with him, and they're overwhelmed, and they're afraid. They're worried, and they're terrified. They're not sure what's going to happen next. <laughs> and then they witness the ascension. Here's how it went down. Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, Luke is writing the book of Acts. He's also, he also wrote Luke. And then this Acts is the second volume. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. As we look at the ascension, one of the things that we remember, one of the things that can encourage us, that is, give us courage in the midst of whatever it is we may be facing, we have to remember his presence. The disciples are there with Jesus. In fact, if you go and you read the post-resurrection accounts all throughout the Gospels in the book of Acts, if you read the post-resurrection, that is, after Jesus rose again from the dead, if you read those accounts where he was appearing to his disciples, he was always doing so. He was always making himself present with them in the most unexpected ways, in the most unexpected moments. Most of the time, we get the, the, we get the sense that the disciples are hiding away somewhere in upper rooms or hideouts because they recognize that religious Israel wants to do away not only with him, but his movement as well. And they're attached to the movement. So they're there and they're afraid. And at every turn we read during those 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus just appears with them. He just shows up. Now, if you go and read that, he doesn't knock on a door and say, hey, can I come in now? He walks through it. Are you with me? 
There's a reason we bring that up. There's a reason why when the disciples are in other places at other times, he just appears. He just shows up out of nowhere, so to speak, even though there is no such thing as nowhere for him because he created all things, including nowhere. <laughs> he just shows up. And he's with them. And the passage that Doug read at the beginning of the service and what we see here in the book of Acts chapter 1 is while he's with them, he is encouraging them. He's giving them wisdom. He's explaining to them about what the kingdom is all about. He's present with them miraculously in such a way that they find peace. In fact, in the book of Luke, when he shows up, he says, peace. His presence brings with it the very peace of who he is that is, an a that is able to make not only them then, but us now more brave than when we began. He was with them, explaining to them all things. But it wasn't just his presence. Look at verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, if you know the Bible, you know in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, some 10 days or so after this, God gives the Holy Spirit to his disciples. But what we're supposed to see, that from his presence comes a promise of help. I don't know about you, but that brings me great comfort. Because I recognize no matter what, at every turn, in every part of my life, I have needed help. And I'm assuming I'm not alone. I'm assuming it would be okay to say, at every moment in all of our lives, no matter when, where, or how, every single moment was filled with moments where we all could use a little help. Yes? See, the disciples probably forgot about all of these things. Their brains were so overwhelmed with the emotions and the, the reality and experiences that they had just gone through that they probably couldn't think straight. And if, if somebody would have said to them, like a time traveler, <laughs> if Marty McFly, <laughs> no, would have gone back to the future in history or time or whichever movie it would have been. Don't know if it's one, two, or three. Email me later. And he would have told them, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a day where the world has been touched by the message that you are going to bring to it. There's going to be a day where people that you didn't even know exist have churches in their communities because of the words and the mission and the moments that you're going to have from here on out. They would not have been able to comprehend it, even if they would have laid out the plan, if they would have went disciple after disciple after disciple and said, you're going to go here, you're going to say this, you're going to write that, you're going to do this, you're all going to die, but it's going to be okay. You with me? They would have been like, wait, 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 wait. You're all going to die? Nope. Out. You see what I mean? They wouldn't have been able to comprehend it. But his presence comes. And with his presence comes the promise of help. In fact, remember, 
He had told them that it was important for him to go away because when he went away, the Father would give them the helper, the Holy Spirit, who would dwell within them. And here Jesus makes mention of it again. The ascension is not only a reminder that his presence, his miraculous presence should be that which makes us more brave or gives us courage, but also so should the promise of the helper. See, the Holy Spirit was given to them, and the Spirit would help give them wisdom, guidance, and power. Are you kidding me? Wisdom, guidance, power? I don't know if you remember this, but these 12 disciples that we idolize in one sense and we put up as Christian heroes, and on one level we should, we forget that they started out as everyday, uneducated, normal, fishermen-type guys that were not the best of the best. Do you see what I mean? They needed all of the wisdom, guidance, and power that they could get because they didn't have enough on their own, and they knew it. And so Jesus promises, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he will give you, God the Spirit will provide for you wisdom. I would guess that many of us, if not all of us, are probably facing circumstances and situations where we could use a little bit better understanding that what we have than what we have on our own. I'm assuming that many, if not all of us, could use a little bit of wisdom from above to face whatever it is that we're facing before us, yes? And not only that, but how about guidance? I don't know about you, but man... I absolutely love, see, I'm old enough to have grown up when there were no cell phones, let alone smartphones, let alone maps. I remember when we used to go on trips, we had to go on the Google and dial it up, only it was not the Google, it was America Online, and you dialed it up, you waited for four and a half months to find the directions to the one town that you were going to. Then you downloaded those directions another four and a half months, and then you printed them on a printer, and you organized those pages in the exact order that would get you from here to there. We take guidance for granted, don't we? Because now we just plug in our phone, and we're like, hey, phone. <laughs> and the phone says, yes. You're the best driver I've ever seen. Turn left in 400 feet. You know what I mean? So we take all of that for granted. I don't know about you, but man, can you imagine if God worked that way? If the guidance of God was like that, I would love it. I would love step-by-step -step instructions. I would love a plug-in Holy Spirit that goes into my car so that whenever I'm driving around, I hear the voice of God saying, Darren, turn left in 400 feet. You're going to be tempted to go right, but trust me. <laughs> I would love it. Right? Because walking through, driving through, making our way through this world is confusing. I don't know about you, but I took three or four wrong turns last week, let alone what's going to happen next week. You know what I'm saying? On my own. Man, if we had an app for that, how great would it be? Except it wouldn't be that great. Because what would happen is if we had an app, you know, godly guidance, somebody's like on their computer right now in a bedroom going, oh, I got you, right? 
If you're there, if you're joining us online and you're in your room making up a code for that, stop. <laughs> it's probably not going to be any good for us because what would happen is we would end up falling more in love with our car stereo telling us where to go than the God who wants to guide us through each and every moment of our day. So he promises the Holy Spirit that gives them wisdom and guidance, but that guidance is moment by moment. That guidance isn't necessarily, you know, that confident voice that's undeniable in the midst of our car that says, turn left in 400 feet. It's not that. That guidance comes through the still, small voice of God saying, I love you, and I care about you, and have you considered? See, God wants to guide us that way. But here's the beauty of this promise that the ascension reminds not only them, but also us of. It's not just wisdom and guidance, but it's also power, ability beyond our own weaknesses and limitations. And if you heard me correct, it's without apology that I make mention of the fact that we are all probably more weak and limited than we'd like to admit. That's Christianity 101. But in our weaknesses, he is strong. And so what he promises through the Holy Spirit is power. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, the writer of the letter to the church at Ephesus, tells them that this, the power that God gives them to work from within them is an otherworldly, transcendent, miraculous, rising the, the dead from the grave type of power. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, the power that's working within you is likened to the very same power that God exercised, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. These guys are just a few days away from that moment where they watched Jesus come out of the grave. They interacted with him. They knew that this is some sort of power. It was awe-inspiring and at the same time terrifying. And God promises this is the same power that is working, that is to be working within his people. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes because I have a four-year-old, sometimes I think like a four-year-old, yes? And as a four-year-old, in this moment, I would be like, wait a minute. God is willing to give me power beyond myself? You mean I'm going to be like a transformer? I'm going to be like Blaze and the Monster Machines? I'm going to be like Paw Patrol? I'm going to be... Do you see what happens here? We have to understand we're not four anymore. Amen? So the wisdom, the guidance, and the power that God promises to give through the Spirit is not primarily about us. Oh, it's for us and through us. But make no mistake about it, it is for him and his purposes and his plans so that his people now like those people then, would go to places that they wouldn't otherwise go to on their own. Do things and think things that they couldn't otherwise think of on their own and participate in a work that given the choice on their own, they would have said, no, it's too dangerous, it's too overwhelming, it's too terrifying. It's that kind of presence that God promises to work within us so that we can do something for his glory. The ascension is meant to make us brave, and as we study it, we can't help but start to have our hearts turned and, and, and stirred so that we can say, you know what, 
I want to go out a little more willing to face what it is that I'm afraid of than when I came in. In verse 6, we read this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom of, of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, but that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and even till the ends of the earth. The ascension is not only supposed to remind us of his presence and his help, but it's also supposed to remind us of his objective for our lives, for their lives. You see, all of this was about them being used by him for his purposes and his plans. How do I know this? Well, because they asked him a question that didn't necessarily have to do with that, even though they, they used churchy language. They said, Lord, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, they were still a little confused into thinking that maybe Jesus rose again from the dead so that he could change the political reality of the Roman oppression. Let me say without a doubt, he did not care about that. And if you heard me correctly, I probably just made some people uncomfortable because it sounded like I said Jesus didn't care about politics. Well, probably not in the same way that some of us do. And it's not that he didn't care. It's that he was concerned about something bigger and more important. They still asked him, are you going to restore the kingdom in this way at this time? Are you going to move the old administration out and move a new administration in, which, by the way, they believed included them? Am I going to get this office? Am I going to get this space? Is this the way this is going to work? And Jesus says, listen, don't worry about things that you shouldn't be worrying about that the Father has already taken care of. Don't worry about things that you shouldn't be worrying about that the Father has already taken care of. Instead, what I want you to be concerned about is the very reality of the promise that's going to be in you that's going to give you a power to do something beyond you. My objective is not to make you more comfortable. My objective is to remind you of your commission. And I want you to be my witnesses, my authorized representative, my amazing, miraculous image bearers to the world. Do you guys, that language, by the way, is so stirry. What I mean by stirry is you cannot not hear it and go, wait a minute, what? Image bearer should grab all of our attention because it's exactly how God created the first humans as image bearers of the Almighty in perfection. And it's been perverted by sin from that point on. And he reinstates and restores all of this. And he says to this ragtag group of afraid, overwhelmed, cowardly individuals that are just like us. He says to them, I want you to be my witnesses, my miraculous image bearers to the world. The ones that are going to go out and represent me to the world and show them not only who I am, but how I am. I want you to do this in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we hear it and we're like, yeah, great commission. You go, guys. Really hurt my back. Right? You go. But we have to remember when they heard it, they were like, wait a minute, is he talking to us? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're still standing by Peter. Are you with me? Peter's still standing by Thomas. They're all still standing by each other who were not at this point the models of perfect performance as it came to Christianity. Thankfully, he didn't die and rise again to make them perfect on their own. He did so that they would be perfected in him. 
But they're standing there, and when they hear the words, like we hear them, we're like, yeah, the spread of the gospel. It's going to be miraculous and amazing, just like God said it would be. They didn't hear it like that. He says to them, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, at that point, that would have gotten their attention. We're just a 40 days after the resurrection. When the religious leaders in Israel who were stationed in Jerusalem demanded that their king be crucified. They have the ability to wipe people out, stop movements, create cowards. So you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, if you're the disciples, you're like, wait, 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 wait. <clears throat> Are you sure we can't start in Galilee? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. Lord, I'm going to give you a little bit of a geography lesson. Judea is right by Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is really dangerous for now. I don't think that's the right place for us to start. I'm going to make you my, my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria. Okay, Lord, seriously. <laughs> We've gone through this one other time. You're the one who wanted to go through Samaria, not us. You and I both know, Jesus, that any good God-fearing Jew is not going to tell the Samaritans about you. They don't deserve it. They cheated on you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. All the ends of the earth? Like we read it like they were just ready and willing to sign up for a short-term missions trip. They were ready to sign up with Wycliffe Bible translators. They were ready to go with Samaritan's Purse all the way around the world and bring help and hope to everyone who was going through a hard time. We read it like they were ready. We're, I, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Did he just say Jerusalem? Yeah, he did. Judea, that's right by Jerusalem. Yeah, and Samaria. Why would we go there? They don't even like us. And all the ends of the earth. Wait, I live in Nazareth. How, I don't, how, and did you guys know that this is before the days that you could fly halfway around the world in a day? <laughs> what he's saying to them is this. His objective was to commission them all around the world and not make them comfortable. We have missed this in our American Christianity world. We have turned church and everything about church and Jesus into something that's supposed to make us more comfortable. And if we don't like the songs, then we're uncomfortable and we go somewhere else. If we don't like the volume, then we're uncomfortable and we go somewhere else. If we don't like the preaching, and I'm not sure how you couldn't, we get upset, I'm just kidding, and we go somewhere else, I don't blame you. Do you see what I mean? We turn it into comfort. We have chairs. I remember, did you, I, like, I came to this church one time when there weren't chairs. There were still pews that were wood. And it was really uncomfortable on your backside. Sorry. <laughs> Everything is about comfort. In fact, you don't know this, but right before the service was starting, I walked into the room. You guys are stuffy. 
I walked into the room. It was a little stuffy. And I walked over to the mechanism on the wall, and I turned the air conditioning on. Why? So that we could be more comfortable. God bless you. You're welcome. <laughs> right? This is what we make Christianity all about. And we forget that the ascension is a reminder that Jesus wasn't as concerned about our comfort as he is and always will be about our commission, about the objective that he has not only for his people but for his church, which includes us, that we would be his authorized witnesses all around the world as we're going throughout the world. And it doesn't matter how overwhelming, scary, comfortable, frustrating, or weird it sounds to us. Because we have to remember the idea that they would take the gospel all the way around the world was a foreign concept to them that seems strange. And the idea that they would even spend any amount of time in Samaria among those hated half-breeds seemed weird. And the idea that they would risk their own lives by being close to Jerusalem in Judea seemed a bit unwise. And the idea that they would start in Jerusalem, unfathomable. And if Jesus was concerned, if he was only thinking about their comfort, he wouldn't have given them this objective, but he did. The ascension is a challenge for us who is afraid of being uncomfortable to be brave so that we can be about his commission. Then, verse 9, check it out. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Which again, by the way, this is the ascension. So he says to them all of these things. They're overwhelmed. They're blown away. They're wondering how it's all going to work out. And in a moment where he probably, they probably could have used a little bit more information, he decides to just rise up out of their midst and out of their sight. I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm like, how did that happen? I don't know. But I do know this. There's a word in this description that a lot of times we overlook. It says this. And he, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. We just read it and we think, oh, a cloud. How many of you guys like white puffy clouds with blue sky behind them? Yes. How many of you guys like dark moody clouds with the storm right behind them and with them, right? This is kind of how we think of clouds. We look at clouds and we're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a sunny day. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. How many of you like evening sun is setting cotton candy pink clouds? Are you with me on all of those? Even if you put all of them dark and moody, pink, cotton candy, white and fluffy, you put them all together, they still don't do justice to what's actually being spoken here. It says that a cloud enveloped him. This is language they would have understood. They would have understood that their ancestors made it through the wilderness, directed by God according to a cloud during the day. They would have understood, some of them in that moment, could have even realized, oh my, this is what this is. Because Peter, James, and John earlier had went up to a mountaintop with Jesus, and he was transfigured before their very eyes. They saw him glorified and a cloud spoke from heaven saying this is my son with whom i am well pleased a cloud was very 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 telling for them but sometimes we don't even read the passage and we skip over the word cloud you see the ascension is supposed to remind us of the glory of god that the one that we're talking about that can make us be brave transcends and is supreme over anything and everything that would make us be otherwise 
The ascension is supposed to communicate to us that we have hope to be courageous because Jesus is above and beyond all of it. Finally, look at verses 10 through 11. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into heaven? I think this, and I'll say it over and over and over and over, sense of humor. Do we know this phrase? Do you know people that have a sense of humor? Did you know that that very ability was created by God? And if he creates it, he can use it. (laughs) Did you know this? They're standing there, blown away, drop jawed. I'm just going to stand here to make it obvious. Do you guys get the sense? Like they're standing there. There's a cloud of the glory of God enveloping the Son of God. Peter's like, hang on. Wait for the voice. <laughs> you know what I mean? James is like, well, he did it once. I don't know if he'll do it again. <laughs> do you see the irony that while they're standing there gazing up into heaven... They're not moving or going anywhere. So, two angelic beings come down. I don't know about you, but I wonder how they missed it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because they're described as wearing white, white, white robes. They come down, saddle up next to them. Hey, guys, why are you looking up there? Again, I think God has a sense of humor. He says, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. This Jesus whom you are looking for, wondering what's going on, don't forget, he's going to come back in this way. You guys, you have to remember that The ascension is supposed to be a reminder that he will return. And when he returns, we're supposed to remember everything that is wrong will be undone and made right again. The ascension is supposed to remind us of his presence that brings peace. The ascension is supposed to remind us of the help that we can have through the Holy Spirit. The ascension is supposed to remind us that there's a purpose in our life that's supposed to go beyond us. The ascension is supposed to remind us that the one who is in charge of all of that is supreme over all of everything. He can make it so, right? How do we know? We're here today doing what they started. That's how we know. The ascension is supposed to remind us finally that he's going to come back. And when he comes back, in the end of it all, he's going to make everything that is wrong right again. Thank you for listening. For more information about Rogue Valley Christian Church, please visit our website at www.rvchristian.com.